How good can the Oklahoma City Thunder be this season? How far can this roster take them? Plus, the difference in discourse around Chet Holmgren. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder podcast, on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member, and editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com, Ryland Styles. Follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LOThunderPod. Email the show, LOThunderPod at gmail.com. You can even text the show, 405-963-3686. And on today's show, we're diving into the difference behind the discourse of players and coaches and former players around Chet Holmgren and the fans and kind of finding out what to expect from Chet Holmgren this year, which will lead us into the conversation of how good can the Thunder be this season? There's already way too early power rankings out there. How good can Oklahoma City be? Are they already a top half of the NBA team? We'll talk about it all on today's Locked on Thunder podcast. Let's start with Chet Holmgren. So I I found it very interesting as we continue to go on this offseason. There's been, of course, a billion, you know, player-ran podcasts popping up. Draymond Green, Patrick Beverly, former players have podcasts, Kevin Garnett and uh, Richard Jefferson, and just all all of these, you know, player-driven podcasts popping up and and shows and, and, and outlets. And so ways for players to, you know, express their side of things and, it's been interesting that Chet Holmgren has been at the center of a lot of that. And it's been interesting to see the difference between the way that the former players and people who have been in the NBA think of Chet Holmgren versus fans, because you know how fans think of Chet Holmgren, like that nationally non thunder fans, they look at Chet Holmgren and he's this weird, like super tall, super skinny guy. And they think he's going to get hurt a lot. He's going to be a bust. He's not going to be able to play. In the NBA, Joel Embiid's going to snap him in half. Like, you know, all of the more lazy narratives that have been around Chet Holmgren. But yet, when it comes to players who've been there, who understand what it takes to play in the NBA, they all kind of respect Chet Holmgren and ride for Chet Holmgren and and, and really um, go to an incredible lengths to defend Chet Holmgren. You know, even going back to last summer league, Kevin Durant tweeting out about Chet Holmgren's uh, first performance, his teammates in this organization praising his ability to attack the rehab, to compete, and of course his skill set. But then this offseason, you had this week where Trey Murphy, who's currently on the Pelicans, and, and then two former NBA players, Richard Jefferson and Channing Fry, they made their pick for Chet Holmgren over Victor Wembanyama. They they would take Chet Holmgren this year. They praised his skill set is mental makeup. And, and that mental m- makeup, that mentality, has been praised by pretty much everyone who's come in contact with Chet Holmgren. Patrick Beverly says that he calls guys up around the league, calls players up around the league. And whenever he asks about Chet Holmgren, the reviews are very raving of like, hey, this guy is a dog. He has he has that special mentality to compete and, and the skill set, obviously, to compete. Like Patrick Beverly went on a huge diatribe about how good that, the, that, that Chet Holmgren's going to be. Then Chet Holmgren went on Kevin Garnett's podcast and they 
uh, had a great show together. And Kevin Garnett was praising the intangibles and the strength and the, and the difference that he saw from Chet Holmgren on the court in just one year's time, you know, from last summer league to this summer league and Chet's ability to block everything. And Kevin Garnett, you know, who, who certainly understands what it takes to be a big man in the NBA gave glowing reviews on Chet. And so I just think it's interesting that that's what the players think. That's what, you know, people in the NBA think versus the easy crutch that some national medium, some national fans fall on with Chet Holmgren. And then you just look at Chet on the court. So last summer league, he put up 14 points per game, eight rebounds per game, two assists, a steal and a half, 2.8 blocks per game. He shot 48, 42, 94 in five games. This summer league, he put up 16.5 points per game, 9.7 rebounds per game, two assists, a steal, three and a half blocks per game. He shot 49% from the floor, 9% from three, and 73% from the free throw line in four games. So, you know, at, at every level, he's been able to impact the game very high. And of course, this year, the, the concern was the shooting, uh, which I'm not concerned about his shooting at all, really, because as we're going to get into with his college stuff, like he's been shooting the ball very well. He shot the ball very well last year. I think that's more so uh, getting more comfortable coming back from uh, injury and, and, and getting settled in. And then this year, he was high on turnovers, but the surrounding of it was different. He wasn't playing with Josh Giddy like he was last summer. Uh, he wasn't playing with Josh Giddy, someone who can facilitate and give him the ball. He was having to do some more of that, which he won't really be asked to do in the NBA. And then you go back to college, and he was excellent in transition offense, excellent cutting, excellent putbacks, excellent in post-up. He scored in isolation. Uh, he shot 38% on the catch-and-shoot, shot 83% at the rim, and 40% from three. Defensively, he only allowed 34% at the rim. When he was defeating the rim, opponents shot 34%. Like that, That is just breathtakingly good from Chet Holmgren. Uh, very good defender, great in the pick and roll, and only allowed 0.7 points per possession when posting up. And so he certainly, you know, seems like he has the ability to be one of the top players and worthy of that second overall pick in last year's draft. And even beyond just summer league and, and college stats, and of course, you know, someone that tall, someone that good, someone that skilled is going to dominate AAU in high school, so we won't get into that. But even beyond that, when we're looking at Chad Holmgren, every time that he's had any sort of run-in with NBA players, the reporting on it has been that he's been re- very, very, very good. Like even, uh, I believe it was Ramona Shelburne last summer, that was the one that had the scoop of him competing with Joel Embiid in open runs and really playing well. Since then, Chet has put the videos out himself on YouTube of, of him holding his own and playing extremely well, actually, uh, against Joel Embiid in kind of a more five-on-five, just summer pickup run like we always see every year. Uh, you can go back to that clip of him at Steph Curry's camp where he's uh, you know, crossing over Steph Curry and blocking Steph Curry, whatever, um, if you want to take that for whatever that's worth. But like every time he's around NBA players, every time that he's around, you know, top competition, he adapts his game, adjusts his game, and plays accordingly. So it is it is really strange to see the disparity between how players and, and, and people in the NBA talk about him versus how fans talk about him. And in this case, I tend to lean more so toward the people who have actually been in the NBA. Because again, the organization themselves have been praising Chet this whole time. He's always been on track with his rehab, always been attacking it hard. And of course, now he's back on the court uh, and, and he's going to be on Team USA Select in training camp here in a few weeks and helping them prepare for practice and 
Um, you know, maybe he'll step in for FIBA World Cup if, if needed, but uh, still, he's ready to go. And, and so to get to this point was a grueling process. Obviously, it took a year, um, but he was able to do everything that, that was needed to be done to get here, which was a, a great sign. Plus, we know that he has the skill set. We know that he has the ability um, to, to play at a high level, and he's done that against top competition at every turn. So with Chet Holmgren, I'm excited to see what this looks like in the NBA. And I think that he, of course, is going to be one of the players that will swing some things for Oklahoma City, which brings us to how good can Oklahoma City be this season? ESPN did a way too early power rankings. And I think that they actually put a lot of respect on Oklahoma City in these rankings. But can Oklahoma City climb these rankings? Will they maybe slide these rankings? What's going to happen this year? We'll talk about all that coming up. But first, I want to say right now, my good friends over at FanDuel, folks. FanDuel is awesome. Go to FanDuel.com right now slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on because it is America's number one sports book. Go to FanDuel.com right now and you can get 10 times on your first bet uh, in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. It's bonus bets. If you just bet 20 bucks, then boom, you're in and you're going to get uh, $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. So check it out today as you can take your first crack at swinging at Major League Baseball bets. So check it out today. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. The best part is it is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. So you can go there right now to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, and you can bet on all of the baseball action that's happening right now, including the Astros and the Rays. The Rays are one-and-a-half run favorites here in Houston. Go check that out today at fando.com slash locked on, fando.com slash locked on. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. Subscribe for free across all podcasting platforms so you never miss an episode. So you can subscribe on YouTube, any other podcasting platform, and of course, follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore South. So we're going to dive into these power rankings and dive into um, kind of where the Thunder sit at this point. So ESPN did a way too late power rankings. They have the following top 30 teams. Denver, number one. The Bucks, number two. Celtics, three. Suns, four. Heat, five. Sixers, six. Lakers, seven. Warriors, eight. Cleveland, nine. Memphis 10. That's your top 10. So then they go on to have the Clippers, Kings, Knicks, Mavericks, Thunder. The Thunder rank in the top 15 ahead of the Timberwolves, ahead of the Pelicans, ahead of the Hawks, Nets, Jazz, Pacers, Bulls, Magic, Rockets, Raptors, Spurs, Hornets, Blazers, Washington, Detroit, ahead of all these teams. And so when I look at the Thunder being 15, I think that that's actually pretty good, pretty respectable, pr- pretty, you know, uh, good rankings for the national perspective on OKC. And the Thunder, I think, should focus on a few different areas in this rebuild. Or not rebuild, I'm sorry, in this upcoming season. So let's look at who the Thunder could pass and who the Thunder need to watch out for in their rearview mirror according to this list. I think that the Thunder could pass the Clippers. 
this of course would just be contingent upon injuries. Like the bottom line is as much as we want to see this Clippers team full strength, just as NBA fans to see like what they can do. The bottom line is they haven't been full strength and there's always something that happens. There's always Kawhi always misses just a, a few too many games. Paul George got hurt on the stretch of last season. Like there's always something that happens. And so you know, that's, of course, going to be a red flag of teams ranked out of OKC who they could jump because, you know, you just don't know how they're going to handle load management. And the, and and this more so about the regular season, you don't really know how they're going to how they're going to treat these games. Like, what if the Clippers go into this mode even even more so than they already have been of like, let's just not care what happens in the regular season. I don't care if we're in the play in. I don't care if we're in the playoffs. Doesn't matter. Let's just see what this team can do in a in a postseason environment, fully healthy. So we're gonna rest and and you know not at all um, care about each and every regular season game that can cause OKC to pass them too, as well as the injuries. And then the Grizzlies. I, I say the Grizzlies just because you know John Morant suspended and and they've traded off Tyus Jones, and so I know that like when the initial suspension came out for twenty five games, people were like, well. You know, they, they, they do play well without John Morant whenever he's been out for injury. Uh, but I think a, a part of that, at least a large part of that, was Tyus Jones, and he's no longer there either. And so just keep an eye on them of, like, what if they start things out slow in those first 25 games, and then they're playing catch-up. And playing catch-up is pretty hard to do uh, in the NBA night in and night out, especially as you're going to start to work in John Morant after a 25-game absence. Now, you know, John Morant's young, and, and he's really, really, really good, so, like, he should be able to just uh, – jump right in, but that's not always how it works out. So keep an eye on Memphis as well. And then Sacramento. I like the Kings. They're a fun team. They were the fun story of last year. Is there any adjustments made by the Kings, you know, and to the Kings? Do the Kings have another gear to get to? Will they just be where they were at last year? Or will they start to regress with some of those performances a bit fluky? And then does the NBA understand how to defend the Kings, how to match up with the Kings better than they understood last year. So the Kings are a team to, to me to watch. And then you have the Mavericks to watch, you know, the Luka Kyrie thing, will they ever figure it out? Um, I love the Mavericks offseason. Uh, I think that the Mavericks being ranked ahead of OKC, you know, is is fine because I think that they did an amazing job this offseason uh, building that team to the best of their ability. But the, the, the reality is any team that has Kyrie on it, you've got to be wary of, of like what's going to happen, you know, is he going to play, frankly? And and then how do these two guys gel um, together as they get their first offseason, their first training camp, their first elongated run of playing together ever as a duo? So like they, they, that could look really special. It can also have some bumps in the road. So the Mavericks, of course, are a team to watch. And then you can throw in the Lakers and Warriors, but but to me, like that's just like them being old and, and possible injuries that can creep in. Uh, with the Warriors, you know, what if Clay Thompson does or doesn't bounce back? We'll see there. Uh, but I think that the Lakers are going to be good as long as they're healthy. But of course, it's a big if. They're, they're relying on Anthony Davis. Uh, you know, LeBron James dealt with some injuries last year. So I, I, I think that that's kind of the list of teams who you can move up. I only did Western Conference teams because at the end of the day, it is a power rankings, but the West is all that really matters uh, for the Thunder because you're in the conference and that's what decides your playoff fate. Uh, now, teams that the Thunder should be watchful of in the rear view you know minnesota i know that it's easy to dump on them and and, and kind of make fun of them a full training camp you know to work together um you know cat 
had that that injury last year. Do they start to figure out how to play together more now as this kind of weird matchup, especially for the Thunder specifically? You know, Minnesota is not someone that I'm ready to discard just yet. Now, I will say, uh, Minnesota, the leash is very short if they if they come out this season and do not look at all improved, and it's still kind of uh, some clogged lanes for uh, Ant Edwards, and it's still just not working out. They will be a team that you instantly discard, and not only will you no longer watch them in the rear view, uh, they're going to be the they're going to be the uh, guy on the highway that goes you know 40 miles an hour, and you're just blitzing right past them. Uh, but Still worth monitoring, I would say. And then the only other team in the weird that I think is worth monitoring for OKC would be New Orleans. Like, and this is just the opposite of what we talked about with, you know, the Clippers and everyone else. When New Orleans is actually healthy, they're incredibly good. And so, like, if New Orleans is healthy, uh, I would I, I would not be so certain that you know they aren't better than OKC or wouldn't be able to be better than OKC. Um, so, I, I I think that they're a team that that right now ESPN ranks at, ranks behind the Thunder. Uh, and, and for good reason, because like you're taking a calculated guess of like the, the, the Pelicans likely won't be healthy and they likely won't um, be able to play at their uh, top performance. But if they can, then that makes things very interesting for Oklahoma City. The bottom line here is the Western Conference is going to be so competitive and there's going to be disappointed teams at the end of this. Not only disappointed teams who project to be good, but also like the Rockets, like the Rockets, if they don't take a significant jump. And I think that the expectation from their fan base is even going to be like a thunder type jump where they just jump up to the play. And if they don't do that after what they've shelled out and what they've done this off season, that's going to be a disappointing run. And, and I think that the Rockets will be disappointed. I don't have them on this list for a reason. I don't think they're going to be very good, but like that just goes to show like how many disappointed teams they will be when this season is over. And I think that part of that too, you know, we've already seen the lottery and seen the play in and seen all these moves that the league has made deter teams from tanking. There's also just not not a very good draft. Like I, I'm trying my hardest to buck the trend, but not only does everyone I talk to just incredibly down on this draft, but also whenever I'm going on synergy watching these guys, you know, compete, it, it just it does not look like a good draft at all. So like there's no prize to be had. So you might as well, if you're this middling team, say, well, why not we just go get it to the play and, 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 and go get postseason basketball. Cause you see what it can do for your team. Uh, both, you know, if you want to believe in some miracle Miami run, which I don't think will happen very often or if ever again, or even just the thunder, like the thunder won one play in game, but like the, the difference that that one play in game made for the fan base, for the buzz, for the relevancy, for um, the team was great. And was something that you would want for your franchise. I think if you're, if you're out there in a different organization, and so the verdict of this power ranking is I think that it was very fair to OKC. Very, very fair. Like I, I know that right now it's, you know, look, right now, if you're not optimistic about your NBA team on uh, July 28th, you've got a very, very, very poorly ran franchise. Like, like there should be at least some optimism about your team. So right now I get it. Like, like the initial uh, reaction to some fans whenever I saw the list was like, the fans thought that the, that the Thunder were right too low and uh, that's kind of where they were last year. And look, we're adding all these guys from last year's team. I get it. But again, going through it, who are you going to have them jump over? I We can make the case for who they can jump over, but have they jumped over them at this current moment in time? Uh, I don't think so yet. I, I like the 15 rating. I really do for OKC. I think that that's very, very, very respectful of this team. And I think that the Thunder have the opportunity, as we're going to talk about right now, to make the leap higher up this list. And, and 
if this team is as good as I've been saying and as good as you know I've been talking about with um with them being a team that will take the regular season seriously and win a lot of regular season games, it will be but three or four weeks worth of power rankings before they're vaulted way up from top 15. So it's going to be interesting to see how this team does. Now coming up, let's talk about what the Thunder looked like last season, how they've improved from last season, and let's try our hand at the rotation and what the outcome is for OKC this year uh, here in July. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. Next week, another jam-packed show. We're going to have some special guests as well next week, so tune in for that. And, of course, Monday is Mailbag Monday, so get your questions in for Monday's show right now in the YouTube comments or on Twitter at Ryland underscore style. So last year, the Thunder ranked 13th in defensive rating, 4th in the league in steals. 22nd in blocks, dead last in second chance points allowed. They were one of the best teams in limiting the fast break. And every year since Mark has been an OKC as the head coach, the Thunder have overperformed defensively. But now you add Chet Holmgren. Now you add Kaysen Wallace. Now you add even uh, Michich Knight. Now you add these guys that, you know, and, and you get back Kenneth Williams, who was top 12 in DPM last year. And, and was huge, huge, huge for your defense last year. Like that was a massive blow to them to lose Kenny Hustle. But you get him back now, you know, from injury. This team should be a top 10 defense. Like the bottom line is this team should be a top 10 defense and, and, and has the ability, has the ceiling to be a top five defense. Like this defense should be smothering for OKC if healthy. And they've only added to that. You saw SGA take a step defensively last year. I think that Jalen Williams took a step midway through last year defensively. And for a rookie, you know, which is hard to just come in as a rookie and be a good defender. For a rookie, Jalen Williams was a really good defender. Uh, you know, J-Dub, of course, was a really good defender. And I think that his length and his size, and you've seen him bulk up, you know, this this uh, summer in his uh, pictures that he's posted on social media. Uh, you'll see him take another leap defensively, in my opinion. And so when you mix in all that development, it is easy to get very excited about OKC because if you can have a top 10 defense, top five defense, and then you can have a, a, a top half of the league offense, you're going to be a really good team. You're going to have to be a really good team at that point. The interesting part will be the rotation. So the starters are pretty set in stone to me. I'd be really shocked if, if opening night rolls around and the team is fully healthy and the Thunder aren't starting SGA, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, J. Dub, Chet. And then rotationally, you got to find minutes for Michich. You got to find minutes for Joe, Kenny Hustle, Wiggins, Kaysen, Poku, Chang, Jay Will. Then you also got to find a look at Bertans in that kind of Sarich role. Just, you know, just play him sometimes. Don't play him other times. You know, you're going to find some opportunity for Keontae Johnson on a two-way deal. And then whoever, whoever survives the bottom of the roster crunch will find some opportunity. But the bottom line is the Thunder... You know, the streaks for this season, number one, the Thunder have overperformed on defense every year that Mark's been in OKC. They should be a top 10 defense. Number two, the offense is going to get better just by simply adding Chet. The shooting gravity that we saw, he shot 9% from three in Summer League, but the closeouts all throughout Summer League up until his last game, all the way through his last game, um, their closeouts were hard. The closeouts, you know, gave gravity to the Thunder offense and helped everyone out, including Chet Holmgren. His cutting is awesome. Of course, pick and roll is awesome. Like he should add a lot to this offense. Jalen Williams, 
has had a ton of strength and he played power forward last year and he'll be able to play power forward again this year. Uh, and then this is a young team that has cared about the regular season and, and, and they're going to want to win every game. And that's not something you can say for every single team. And then you also, you'll have the, the benefit of like, Hey, Josh Giddy, like at every step of his basketball career has gotten better every off season over every off season. Same thing for Jada. Every off season of his basketball career has gotten better. Same with SGA. Every time you think SGA can't take another leap, he does. And so that is a big feather in your cap for OKC. You should also be able to put guys in better spots this year, like Lou Dort, for example. He should look a lot better, a lot better, um, you know, this year offensively because you can reduce his role to what he's good at, corner threes, uh, you know, and, and just kind of have him do that, not have him be ultra-aggressive offensively. So those are all strengths. Now the weaknesses for this team. One of the weaknesses is figuring out their rotation. I, I listed off five starters. Of course, you have to start five guys on the court. Eight rotational pieces, and then you know a trio of more guys that you want to keep looking at. So it's going to be difficult to figure out that rotation. And I would guess that there's going to be missteps along the way. You're going to give certain guys more leash or less leash and, and have to figure out what works and maybe make a mistake or two before you settle in and fully explore this roster and know what the combination is to get it right. I think that part of that is what, what happened with OKC last year where they had played their best basketball in, in um, you know late, late December, of course, throughout January, throughout February, played really good basketball because they settled in and they understood what worked and they understood you know, how to get the right pieces and combination together. This is also a young team as, a, as part, of a, part of a weakness. And so just because we just listed off that everyone should get better, you got to make sure that they actually do get better because we've seen young guys take a step back in year two, uh, regress in year three, pop in year four. Like we've seen you know, that progression is not always linear. So make sure they actually do get better, you know, this season. And then a weakness as far as playoffs would be, you know, I do believe that you got to go through a war first. You, you've got to go through this stuff and you've got to experience the, the the series. And so far on this roster, Shea and Lou, they've been a part of a long series. Shea's been a part of two long series. Lou's been a part of one. Uh, you know, the, the players on this roster from last year, of course, played in two play-in games. Uh, but but they've never played in a series. They've never played in a seven-game stretch. Neither has your head coach. Like you, that, That's going to be a little bit of a detriment to this team. So you've got to go get there and get that first taste of it and, and, and get that first data point. Because once you get to the playoffs, you're going to see it's a different ball game. You're going to see that um, certain things work and don't work in the playoffs. You're going to see how your team adapts and reacts to game planning for a team, adjusting to a team, and having the same done to them. And then you're going to have a clear picture and a clear understanding of what this team needs to add in order to approve, to, to improve. And you'll head into the 2024 summer with high hopes, massive draft capital, flexibility, and a better understanding of what this team needs. And so how good can the Thunder be? They can be a top six seed in the West and a ceiling of a top four seed in the West with, with kind of, I'd say four would be their ceiling. But, the, the more that you look at this picture, even in the very, very, very tough Western Conference, I believe that the Thunder can and, and, and probably will avoid the play-in tournament. And that's saying a lot. Like, that is a huge accomplishment out West. So let me know what you think. How good can this Thunder team be this season? Drop your predictions down below on YouTube. Also, follow along on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. And until tomorrow, be good and be good to one another.